What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Guys, this is the Talking the Star podcast. I'm your host, Connor Livesy. Joined my co-host tonight, Mark Schofield. And as you could tell, we have switched from draft season to football season, and we're transitioning from our draft content to our Dallas Cowboys content, even though we're still going to talk all about the draft today. Um, but we're glad to have Mark back with us as he's going to be um, putting on his Cowboys hat uh, once or twice a week and and rolling with us on that. So I know he's not a Cowboys fan, which I'm excited about because every time I've hosted this show, it's been with another Cowboys fan. So we have a non-biased co-host on the podcast to tell us we're crazy or tell us we're wrong or tell us we're right. And I'm excited for that. Mark, what's going on, man? What's going on, Connor? I'm excited to be back. I'm uh, excited for this. Um you know, we had a, a fantastic run up to the draft and I'm excited because now I've got three of the four NFC East teams in the quiver. Right. So I do this show. I do uh, the QB factory reboot with Rachel Prevett over at uh, Bleeding Green Radio. I write for Big Blue View at SB Nation. So that's three of the four. If the commander's site wants to reach out so I can sort of round out the cycle, I can run the NFC East. That, that would be fantastic. But. No, I mean, in all seriousness, I'm excited to be back. I had a ton of fun doing the show. It, it, it was a blaster of the draft season. And now, like you said, I'm excited to talk Cowboys a couple of times a week, each week with you. I always thought it was so funny because during draft season, like the people who would tag, you know, myself and RJ and all those guys in like their mock drafts, they started tagging you in them. And yeah. I always chuckle a little bit. I was like, I was no, getting these good. like Cowboys mock drafts sent to me. I'm like, this is, this is fun. And <laughs> there are a couple that I really liked. I remember like replying to some of those. I was like, man, if the Cowboys do this, it would be fantastic. So yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's fun because, you know, football is supposed to be fun. Like we're right. supposed to have fun talking about this. We get to talk about a game a couple of times a week. So, so it, the more you can do it, the better. And you, I mean, like for people that don't know, which I'm sure they do at this point, but like you cover the NFL as a whole is like your, your big main football job. You know, it's not like you're writing for a team. Like you'd look at it as a, as the whole NFL perspective. So it's not like you're a Patriots writer who's just like dipping his toes in the Cowboys water. Like you watch Cowboys games, you have to study right. the tape and all that as well. So, right. although, you know, every once in a while I do get the, Oh, you're just a biased. I, I, <laughs> my favorite though, Connor is like, you're just a homer. This is such a homer article. And it's like something I wrote for the Giants site. Right. It's like you have no idea how much I hate yeah. the New York Giants, buddy. Like I despise them, but uh, it, it, well, it's fun. It's fun. That's an interesting topic because what we're going to talk about today is the Cowboys draft class and how they'll fit into the offense, defense, special teams. Um, and I, I think this is an interesting topic because so many people, you know, 
get mad at me post draft when I'm like, yeah, I don't didn't love Tyler Smith as a player. And they're like, Oh, you just take the Cowboys. And I'm like, no, I released all my notes, all my scouting reports, everything on this guy two weeks ago. So I didn't know he was going to get drafted by the Cowboys. But I think that in the draft, the cool thing about this is, is you can have an opinion on a player, his fit, how he'll fit in. And then he could get drafted by a team and you go, okay, I could see how this can work a lot better than my projection, you know, because he's with like Kyle Duggar who plays for the Patriots. Like when he was drafted by the Patriots, I was like, I like Kyle Duggar, but there was like some first round talk with him. And I was like, I never saw that, but I can see how he can turn into a really good player in Bill Belichick's defense. So there's situations like that, um, that I think happen every year and quite often. So I kind of wanted to look at it player by player in the draft class and then just go, okay, we had this opinion on the player pre-draft. Now that we know where he's going to be and what role he's going to play, how does that change our opinion, if at all? Um, yeah. I, I think it's a great idea. And what, what I, I also want to mention here, I've talked to some people that either are scouts, are front office executives, or were scouts, front office, whatever. And they will tell, they've told me, Every right. single one, like to a person, like in the buildup to the draft, when teams are like building their boards and debated players, there was an athlete. We're recording this Wednesday morning. There was an athletic piece that came out today that talked about how the Colts did it. And they took four days off the scouts, the front office from mid December to the draft four days off. That's not right. a lot of time off during the week. It was 730 AM to 730 PM, 10 to four Saturday mm-hmm. and Sunday. Like you're working seven days a week. Every person that has been in those rooms that I've talked to has told me that like when it comes to just straight up evaluating players, like there's pretty much universal agreement. Like, oh, yeah, this guy does this well, this guy where the fights really happen is what we're going to talk about the scheme fit stuff. Right. Because it's one thing to say, like, yeah, you know, this quarterback is accurate. It's another thing to say which offense, which type of system does he fit in best? And so that's where you sometimes get, like you said, with, with Smith. I didn't like him. We didn't like him, whatever. But we can see it. We, we can see the right. vision. Or another player, we really like this guy, but I don't like him in this offense or I don't like right. him in this defense. So the scheme fit part, I think, is the best, is the most intriguing part of the entire draft process. It's kind of like the, you know, like the receivers that the Ravens have drafted recently, Hollywood Brown, who just got traded, and, and um, Rashad Bateman. Like, those are two guys I loved coming out of college. But I was just like, how are they going to fit in this run-heavy offense it doesn't I mean they do stretch the field sometimes but it's not a consistent part of their game and you know that they're you know Hollywood Brown I guess demanded a trade and Rashad Bateman didn't really do a ton in his rookie year so it's just it, it, you can have good players that fail because of the systems they're in you can have players that we didn't like succeed because of the system they're put in um I mean I didn't I didn't love Michael Parsons last year and now I look like an idiot because he goes into a scheme where they use him as a pass rusher they they split his time between traditional linebacker and as a pass rusher and it was just it was a tremendous blend of him playing where he needed to and him playing where he should have played so but um yeah let's let's get it started with Tyler Smith I think that's a good place to start um like you said we both weren't huge fans of the player pre-draft um, I had a third round grade on him. I think you had a late second round grade on him, yeah, if that was yeah. correct. So kind of in the same you know, mold. Um, and I guess my biggest issue, and it's been a constant talking point on Twitter, is people admit that the tape wasn't good at left tackle, but they think that you're going to move him inside the guard and all of his issues are going to go away. And I actually think the opposite to a certain extent because I go his footwork and his hands were his biggest issues. And when you move inside the guard, everything happens quicker. So you don't have as much time to adjust your footwork. You don't have enough as much time to improve your hand placement. So if you have bad feet and bad hands 
at guard against bigger, stronger, longer, you know, just sometimes even better. A lot of guys are, you know, reducing their better players down inside nowadays. It's, it doesn't mean that he's going to get better, but at the same time, I can say if he improves those things, I can see him having a better career there. It's just all based on his improvement and what he develops over these next year or so with his hands and his feet. Cause that was his biggest issue. Yeah. And you know, it does involve, I'm trying to find it. There was a tweet or a study that came out like on Tuesday that looked at, you know, guards at the NFL level. And basically what they were saying was when you have those tackle to guard converts, they tend to struggle year one right. at guard in the NFL, as opposed to guys that just played guard. But they have seen that those tackle to guard converts in years two, three, and four, they actually perform better than guys that were just guards at the, at the college level. And so there's perhaps some hope there. I wish I could put my fingers on the tweet because it's an interesting study, but it's a lot of projection. You know, and right. I know Cowboys fans saw Duke Manny Weather with a little like teaser <laughs> tweet walking into the Cowboys practice facility. And I know a lot of Cowboys fans are hoping that this is a sign that Duke might be helping out because, you know, with the projection piece comes the coaching side. Like, do you right. believe that right now the Cowboys have the staff and the coaching in, in place to help that transition along? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe Duke could be part of helping that out. But you're right, because everything happened so much faster. Like it's one thing to just say, oh yeah, it's going to be tough against the Aaron Donalds of the world, but there are other good interior defenders, defensive linemen, in the NFL that now Smith's going to have to deal with it when the footwork is off, when the hands are slow, when the hand placement is off, when you're letting guys get into you off of the snap, it's really tough out there, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes you're going to be able to have a situation where, you know, uh, you'll have a center helping you out because he's uncovered and he can help you out, but not always. You know, right. and the, you're going to be left in some one on one situations and he's going to have to figure out better technique, better hand placement, you know, not exposing the chest so much. And that's going to be the key. If he makes that those tweaks to his game. Yeah, this could pan out. And maybe this is the OK, it's going to be a rough year one. There'll be some learning curves right. road in year two, three and four. He'll get to where we need to be. And maybe that's going to be the plan. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that's much more realistic. You know, a lot of people. I, I saw something the other day where like, you know, Tyler Smith will be twice the player that Connor Williams was in year one that Connor Williams was in year four. And I was just like, I would say it's 25% the other way that I yeah. would say, you know, like, again, I, I you, you hate to be so negative about these guys who haven't played a snap yet, but I just don't see this road where Tyler Smith comes in as this dominant left guard because he didn't show it at left tackle at Tulsa. He hasn't played left guard since high school and his issues that he has right now at left tackle are probably more manageable at left tackle than they are at left guard. So it's just how much can you develop in six months? And that seems like a big ask to me. It is a big <laughs> ask. I mean, we've, we've seen, look, the Cowboys are a prime example of how much development can happen in six months when you look at number four. I mean, right. you talk about draft misses. I missed wildly on Dak Prescott. And part of the reason I missed on him was because Prescott, Dak, he had that willingness, that work ethic, that competitive toughness to put himself in a better position. He was a better quarterback at the start of rookie minicamp that he was at the senior bowl. Like I remember being down there for that senior bowl. And I was like, man, I just, I, he's right. missing plant routes. Like, what are we doing here? He was a better quarterback. He fixed some mechanical stuff and he was ready to go. So there is evidence of guys being able to figure things out, but there's also evidence of rookies taking a little bit longer because it's a new offense. It's a new system. You're learning life on your own. You're buying a house, dealing with insurance and mortgages and things like that, where it's a, a tough adjustment. So it could happen. 
you know, but I, I think in the world of probabilities, it's, I think sitting here right now, Connor, it's much more likely in my mind that like, he's a project developmental guy that's going to have right. some bumps year one and year two, three, and four, he puts it together and he becomes a solid interior left guard for this team. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I, last thing I'll close on him before we move on to Sam Williams is, you know, I think that some of that projection too, like that we see with the tackles that go to guard and maybe they have some struggles in the year when they figured out, like a lot of that, I think is guys like, like Zach Martin, who is a good tackle at Notre Dame. And, yeah. and I mean, for me, I know Cowboys fans might turn this off as I say this, but like Connor Williams was a pretty good tackle at Texas and he moved inside. He wasn't the you know biggest, strongest, strongest anchor guy, but he was a relatively strong tackle at Texas and he moved inside. And I just, that's my biggest issue is like the tackle tape wasn't very good. And now you're projecting him to move into a position that he hasn't played since high school and expecting him to get better. And I just think that, like I said, that's just a big gleam of hope that might not be there. <laughs> yeah. But um, so Sam Williams, second round pick 56 overall. Um, I think when you see what Dan Quinn did with an, an athletic fast, explosive guy in Michael Parsons last year. It gives Cowboys fans a really good feeling that they they can, you know, strike lightning twice with with Sam Williams, who has a lot of those similar traits, maybe not to the extent that Michael Parsons has, but the explosiveness, the the speed, the ability to win the edge with that first step quickness is obviously there. Um, when Sam Williams was drafted by the Cowboys, one, what did you think? And then two, where were you at when you kind of let it marinate for a little bit? Went, okay, I saw what it did last year with the guy, and let's see what it can do in, in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a solid pick. Um, you know, I, I thought, look, he, he's a guy that you can certainly see coming. You can put him aside from either Lawrence or Parsons and get him some one-on-one situations. Because I think the biggest quarter question right now is, can he win consistently running the arc on the outside? Like, he's big, he's powerful, he's got great hands. You know, he can bull rush through people and things like that. Can he win as a speed guy on the outside when you get him some one-on-one situations? Because let's face it, if you're an offensive coordinator and you see Parsons on one edge, you see Lawrence on one edge, you see both those guys on one edge and Sam Williams on the other side, which way are you having your center slide the protection? Right. Which way are you having your quarterback slide the protection? The idea is going to be, can he win one-on-ones consistently and sometimes do that with it on the outside? Because that's, I think, the weakest part of his game right now. Now, maybe he's going to be good enough to just run through guys in those one-on-one situations. And if so, great, fantastic. But I could certainly see the vision. You know, this is one that I think, in contrast to Smith, where it's like, eh, it's, there's a lot of projection here. You could see how Williams can pan out early in his career with some one-on-ones. He's certainly good against the run, too. I, I think that's also a very nice trait of his. You know, so he's going to give you that ability to sort of set the edge. And so this one, I think, is a little bit easier to sort of project. Like, he's going to – he'll be a fantastic pick if he starts winning on the outside consistently. But the floor, I think, is very solid for him to just come in and have success, some success in some situational pass rushing opportunities and things like that. Yeah, no, I, I was looking for a tweet too that I can't find. So we're we're really blowing it on. Yeah, we're, we're so. crushing it at this morning. <laughs> but um, I think it was John owning like the day after the draft. He had you know works for PFF and he had pulled up you know how they grade guys when they have rushes like from the seven tech or from the nine you know like the wide nine where he's outside the tackle box pretty much. Um, and like he graded in like the 96 percentile and like pass rush win rate, like run stop percentage. And then when you, he played a lot of that four four I at Ole yeah. Miss and he didn't grade out as well in that area. Um, and actually, we actually had Sam on the day it was on day three. So he came on the day after he was drafted 
And um, I asked him, I asked him that I was like, you know, Hey, how excited are you to probably not have to be fighting tackles and guards, you know, as a in-between defender, you know, in that, that inside box, um, you know, alignment. He was like, dude, I cannot wait. He was like, it is not, I think he was like, yeah, it's four. I is not for the week, man. He was like, you know, I was, 265 starting this year i got down to 261 to just play a little bit quicker and he said you're just fighting tackles and guards for 60 minutes and he was like i'm so excited to be able to just win with that quickness off the edge and that was a lot of my projection with him is okay you got this guy who runs a four four six or whatever he ran he's 261 pounds he's got long arms if you just move him three foot out to the right or yeah. three foot out to the left and let him, cause he has, he has like a good first step quickness. His first step quickness is good. It's just so much he'd fire off the ball. Well, and then it would be contact with the tackle and the guard. And then he'd stall, stall, stall. And he had some effort to his rush. But I just think, like I said, his, what this podcast is about today, projecting their role with what they're going to do, I think fits him really well because of the traits he has. Yeah, I mean, you're just going to basically put him on, you know, on a seven or even sometimes as an right. eye and just let him go. And it's like we talked about earlier this this season, which is edge or pass rush is one of those positions where you just bet on the trades. Like, yeah. like you're comfortable doing that. And when you're talking about it, it's not like the projection of moving a tackle to guard. It's like, you know what it takes to win off the edge. Right. And it's Yes. Uh, you know, like I said, he's sort of uncomfortable at times doing that. It's, it's not something he's on a ton right. of. But you can see how if he's given an opportunity to do that consistently, he's going to have success at it. When he's spending, I think it was like 60% of his snaps at a four eye. Yep. You know, he's going to be a little bit raw and untested when he's allowed to win consistently or have that opportunity off the edge. And so I think, again, this one makes it's an easier case to make. Like yeah. You can see the vision. You can see the pathway for it. And, you know, this was a very good pick, I think. And like something I like that, last thing we'll do on Williams, but something I like that I could see them using him is when they do use Micah and Lawrence as the edges, they use Micah. Is that like a gap blitzer a lot? You know, even if he, I know he played linebacker, but they could use Sam Williams in that same role, you know, where it's like, Hey, it's third and 14. We know they're not running the ball. We know that everything's got to be at the sticks. Like, let's put another explosive, strong, fast dude in the middle of the a gap and really, you know, muck things up inside of there. So I could yeah. see them using that and letting Lawrence and Parsons both rush off the edge. So, yeah, I'm excited about this because I think we saw Dan Quinn really use an athletic raw. I mean, Michael Parsons coming out of Penn State was not a refined pass rusher. He had the traits, but he was raw. And we saw him put that guy in a position to succeed. So that gets me excited about Sam Williams. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jalen Tolbert. Um, we had him on the show uh, this offseason, really liked – the podcast we had with him, he was a was a guy that you just finished talking to. You're like, that guy's going to be good in the NFL. Just the way he carries himself, the way he talks, like the way he studies tape and all that. You could just tell he was going to be a good football player. So I was really excited to get him in the third round. Um, I'm excited because I think he's a guy who can succeed in the slot and outside, even though he played a lot of his snaps outside at South Alabama. Um, but I think that he's a guy that has the frame, has the speed, has the – the route running to move inside and and beat that, you know, kind of coverage that he'll see in that bracket coverage in the slot, but he can also win from the outside. And I think that that's what they needed um, in one of their top 100 picks was a guy who can play outside and let CD lamb reduce inside into the slot. And then a guy who can let CD win from the outside at times and play the slot. So I like what they did with Tolbert. Um, I'm really excited to see what he does. I mean, I, I, 
you know, there's been a lot of talk of him getting a thousand yards this year. I think that's ridiculous, but <laughs> that's the, I think that's a lot of the horrorism of the cat. Right. Right. Optimistic Cowboys fans. I get it, but I think he can come in and be a really solid guy for you right off the jump. I don't think he has this big learning curve. Um, I know he played at a small school, but he could have played football at Michigan state. He had an offer to full ride to go play football at Michigan state and turned it down because he wanted to play baseball and football at South Alabama and stay in state. So I know people kind of ding him for going to a small school, but it sounds like he had plenty of opportunities to go to bigger, you know, power five um, schools, but just made a business decision and and, uh, a decision to stay close to home. So vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm excited for Tolbert. What are, what are your thoughts on him and yeah. his projection? I'm excited for him too. I mean, I could see him sort of carving out a role as a vertical guy in this offense. Like, yeah, you know, I think that's primarily how they're going to use him. I think you're absolutely right. Like you're going to see him both outside and in the slot. I think he has the skill set and some of the experience working on the outside against press aligned defenders where it's not going to be a huge transition for him. You know, he he didn't see a ton of press coverage because of how talented he was, but right. he did see it and he's got experience against it. So it's not going to be new for him. But like you also said, he can sort of kick inside. I mean, I, I think right now he's probably your wide receiver four, but that versatility where he can play outside and inside, I think is certainly going to help him. I think you can give him sort of, I don't, I don't need like, you don't have to limit his route tree. Because I think right. he can give you a full route tree, but I think he's going to be most successful on sevens, eights, nines, overs, digs, like stuff on the more vertical side of the passing spectrum. And he's going to be very successful at that, particularly when, you know, as an opposing defensive coordinator, if you've got a situation where you've got Washington and Lamb on the field as well, you know, where are you concerned most? You know, he's going to see a lot of single coverage. He's going to see a lot of safety rotations away from him, you know, and that's going to give him an opportunity working against some CB3 types to get open downfield in the vertical part of the playbook. And so while the thousand yards is certainly optimistic, I mean, it could happen. Like it legitimately could happen because again, if you're an opposing defensive coordinator, your attention is going to go elsewhere. If you're an opposing free safety and cover one, like 
you're looking towards the 88 side of the field more than anything else right now until Tolbert shows that he can really sort of cause some damage. And so, again, you know, it, it seems like the Smith pick were a little iffy on, but as we start working through the rest of this draft, I think we're going to find more and more players. We're like, yeah, I really like this vision. I, I really like the projection here. I really like the fit. And Tolbert's another example of that. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like I said, I think his a lot of, like you said, his damage will probably be done down the field, which I think, I mean, they, they brought in James Washington, which he's kind of been a down the field player for most of his career at Pittsburgh. And it's kind of interesting because when you watch this tape, I don't even know if that's something he's good at. Like, it's not like right. he's a constant separator. It's not like he's a big physical guy at the catch point. It's just like, that's what his role was in Pittsburgh. And I mean, at Oklahoma state as well. Like he was a guy yeah, who ran just, vertical routes he was by default. Right. <laughs> so, but I, I mean, I think, Based from last year, like Amari Cooper wasn't a guy who consistently won down the field. He could do it, but he ran a ton of slants, run a ton of the, you know, a lot of that underneath route tree. Um, and then Lamb could kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, so I do like that they – they. I mean, he kind of reminds me of a player – I think he's going to be a better version of like Cedric Wilson in year two and three yeah. where he can win down the field. He's going to, you know, reduce inside and run a lot of those deep crossing routes – He's physical at the catch point. He's long at the catch point. So I like I like his uh, projection in this offense as well, especially with an offense that needs to start um, clicking on all cylinders in all three levels of the field. So, yeah, absolutely. Jake Ferguson, I know you're a big fan of Jake Ferguson, um, especially kind of talking to you after the draft. You thought he could have a very good role in this offense. So I'll let you uh, talk a little bit about Ferguson and what his role is going to be in the Cowboys offense. Yeah, I mean. You know, it was weird. I know we talked a little bit about this tight end class, how it seemed like in most years, it's like, oh, man, these guys are great receivers, but they're not going to be able to do what they need to do with the NFL. Like, you, right. they're not going to be able to line up next to the tackle and, you know, work a combination block to get up to the second level. They're not going to be able to handle front side of zone stuff. And guys like Ferguson, you know, guys like Rucker, like some of these other tight ends, McBride, who we talked to, it's like, yeah, they can give you that too. Like, I, I think this tight end class as the whole, I mean, we saw what 19 tight ends drafted, which is the most in like five years or so. Right. I think as a whole, there were more sort of traditional type tight ends in this draft class. They weren't maybe dynamic playmaking explosive receivers like Kyle Pitts, but that's why we saw so many come off the board. And Ferguson's, you know, certainly one of those guys because, you know, when I watched him, he's playing at Wisconsin. Like yeah. they want to run the football. They want to run through your face. Like, like you know, passing sort of an afterthought. But the opportunities he had as a receiver, I thought he showed that he could offer more at the next level as a receiver. He's got a very good catch radius. I thought he ran routes pretty well for a tight end, you know, especially like stuff underneath, you know, in the shorter intermediate areas. And if you start thinking about this passing game, like what we just talked about, right, you're going to see Tolbert on some deep over. Certainly Lamb can work down the field. Washington can work downfield. If you've got three guys releasing vertically, now you've got Ferguson operating underneath or, you know, as obviously we'll see from Schultz as well, you know, that's going to free up some opportunities for him. And so, you know, is he the most explosive dynamic player in this draft? No. Was he the most explosive dynamic tight end of this draft? No. But for what Dallas is looking for, a TE2 guy out of the gate with some TE1 potential down the road, depending on what happens with Schultz, I think he fits perfectly. And to get him where they did, I think that's even better. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think – I mean, I'm not even going to spend a whole lot of time on it because I agree with everything you said. Like, I think he's the 2022 version of Dalton Schultz, whereas yeah. like, Dalton Schultz played at Stanford where they wanted to run the ball a lot. They used him as a blocker. You know, he might not be this great monster blocker, but he's 
efficient in that area. He can improve in that area. He's probably going to try to add some weight to, you know, continue to be a little bit stronger, but he's not this explosive athlete, but the stuff that's you run the routes from the four to 12 yard mark, he seems to have a good feel for that. I mean, he has some kind of impressive ball skills for not being, you know, this great athlete. So I mean, I think he's got a nice little role that he can carve out. And like you said, I think he can come in and, and compete, if not win that tight end two job. And then, um, you know, eventually, you know, see how he progresses in this year and then make a decision on Schultz in 2023, whether if you're ready to move on and make Ferguson the tight end one or no, you just have a really good tight end two and you need to start to look, you know, to the draft or whatever to get the more explosive playmaker. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, you know, I, I'm a fan of his potential um, again, you know, they drafted him where they drafted him because he's not the best athlete at the position. But for what I think Dallas is going to look for out of the gate, you know, I, I think it's perfect. Yeah. All right. The next two will kind of lump in together because I feel like they're, we'll probably say a lot of similar things about the two. And that's Matt. Well, let's go the North Dakota offensive tackle and Duran Bland, their Fresno State corner. Um, for these guys, I think both of them are more of your project day three type of guys that probably aren't going to contribute at all, if any, in year one. Um, Matt, well, let's go. I don't think it's ready to play NFL football yet. I mean, yet. he's, he's your day three slash undrafted free agent version of Trevor Penning. I think I said that on draft day where it's like, okay. you got this big dude, you got this long dude, you got this dude who's pretty athletic for his size. How can we unlock it to see it more? How can we fix his technique issues? How can we get him to play with better body control? Um, so I think he's a guy who they hope that in 2023 could develop into a swing tackle, um, you know, and be their swing tackle in 2023, if not push for some starting reps at right tackle or left tackle, or if Ter Tyron Smith is gone and Terrence Steele doesn't work out. Um, and then Deron Bland, um, I only had one game of his on all 22. So some of that stuff I had to watch just on YouTube cutouts, cutups, unfortunately. But um, I mean, he's got a lot of the traits you like in a corner he's you know good size relatively quick um has some flexibility in his lower half he can change direction so i like him but small school guy he you know a lot of people viewed him as a udfa so I, i'm not going to get overly excited about him but i do like his I, I do think he had better tape than i expected when i went into it watching him yeah i mean with, with bland i'll start there like it just screams like dan quinn single high right. Seattle cover three, like it just screams that, right? Because he's long. I think he had like a what 35 inch arms. Like, yeah, that's just like Dan Quinn being like, you know what? If we're gonna take a flyer on a corner on day three, like this is the kind of guy that I want. And he's I think both of these guys are like basically you gotta view them as red shirts. Like, yep. you know, they're probably not gonna play much this year. Bland will probably, if he plays, it's gonna be mostly on special teams, I'd imagine. But you're looking at all right, these guys are depth for year one. You know, you're going to see how they work in camp, how they develop over the course of the season. And then maybe you get something out of them after some coaching, some NFL coaching at the next in the level um, in year two. I think of the two, Bland probably plays the most because he'll probably play on special teams. He'll cover up that kind of role. Um, but these are guys that you're looking at, like, you know, get them in, work with them for a year and see what you've got in 2023. Yeah. My only issue with, with really the, well, let's go pick is just like, I hate how they drafted two offensive linemen and both of them are these project Project's. developmental, you know, and it's just like, you guys needed help on offensive line, like year one help. And the two guys you drafted, I don't think are ready to step in and help you. I'm not saying they're going to kill, you know, I don't think Tyler Smith is going to just ruin your offensive line by any means, but I think that's going to be, you know, you're at best going to look 
to getting back to the left guard position that you were last year. And I still don't think it's going to be anywhere close to that. So that was my only wish issue with that. I mean, there were some guys available this late, like, I mean, the kid out of Georgia, I liked a lot. Um, Sawyer. Sawyer was available this late. I want to say that um, Darian Kennard was still available this late. So like, there was a couple of guys that I was like, man, here's guys with tackle guard flexibility. Here's guys who I think are ready to come in and play. I'm not saying start, but they're more ready to play right away than a guy like let's go was. So yeah. um, Braxton Jones was still on the board. Uh, Southern Utah. Uh, Lowe from Illinois was still on the board. Fordham kid. Schaffer, the Georgia guard was, yeah. Sawyer went at 195. Yeah. He went in the sixth round. Cade Mays at 199. Um, like the Smith of Virginia Tech. Did Kennard, did, I thought Kennard was there too, but maybe he went just before the pick. I think Kennard went a little bit before that. He went a lot later than I thought he was going to go, though. Yeah, a, he was getting like first round buzz at some point. Yeah, I mean, like he was a guy that at 56, I was like, yeah, I'd consider drafting Darren Kennard at 56 if he was, was there. Maybe he uh, was available, and I'm just missing him here. He was drafted, so I'll need to figure out um what pick Matt Wolutsko was but Darian Kennard was the he came off at 145 so he was at the start of the yeah, he was 10 picks round. before yeah okay yeah so it was it was Sawyer who was still around that I yeah. I mean I like Sawyer more than I like Kennard just as a guard so that was a guy that I was like he was my best player you know best player available for for quite a bit on day three um but yeah, either way, like I said, I just I was assuming they'd go for more of a for sure thing in year one right. because they needed that immediate improvement. But like you said, I agree with what you said to Ron Bland, Dan Quinn type of guy, big, long, you know, quick, can cover the vertical stems, you know, can play on special teams. Yeah. Um, so he'll he'll probably get the first chance to play. Um, but they did come back with their two other fifth-round picks, drafting Damone Clark, the, LL, uh, the linebacker out of LSU, and then John Ridgeway, the defensive tackle out of Arkansas. Just flip the two for me. I love both of these picks. Yeah, just flip them for me, and I'm thrilled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Ridgeway was one of my favorite guys to study just because, look, you know, he, he's got that two-gap potential. Right? Yeah. And if we're talking about living in a too-high world, you know, Dan Quinn – one, you know, defensive coach of the year because partly because of Michael Parsons, partly because he got away from that Seattle cover one, that single high stuff that we talked right. about and started doing more two high stuff. But you need a guy up front that can steal that extra gap. So you don't have to have that safety involved in the run fit. Ridgeway can do that. You know, I, I he's got that low body leverage. I think he's got a wrestler's background in him, which makes a ton of sense when you watch him on film. So I thought that was a great pick. And Clark was one of my favorite linebackers in this entire class. Like yeah. I, I just I just loved watching him play. And you could see a similar usage in him at LSU last year to what the Cowboys did with Parsons because he started the year as basically an off-ball guy. Then they started dropping him down on the edge. They would use him as a pass rusher in, you know, some pass rush and some package situations. Like, I think he had back-to-back sacks to close out a game against, I don't know, I forget who it was. Um, it's, and then he tested at the combine, tested extremely well with a herniated disc. Like just absurd. Now he's probably going to be a medical red shirt because of that, but I love both of those picks. Yeah. And like, based on what we're talking about, that projection, I mean, we're talking about more projection, the defense there in which I I love Clark's 
projection in Dan Quinn's defense. Um, yeah. I, I don't think he's a scheme-dependent linebacker anyway. So if Dan Quinn, you know, if he has to redshirt, Dan Quinn takes a head coaching job somewhere else, whatever it is, and somebody else and comes in, I think he'll be fine. Right, he'll be fine. Um, but I think the projection for Damone Clark is Leighton Van Der Esch is on a one-year deal. He's probably not going to be back next year. So next year you'll go into 2023 with Michael Parsons, Damone Clark, and Jabril Cox as your three linebackers and really feel comfortable about that position. Yeah. Um, and not having to really add to it, which I think is was nice. Um, and then John Ridgeway, like you said, I think that we saw we've seen the Cowboys value that one technique, nose tackle, zero tech more since Dan Quinn arrived than they ever have. They drafted Quentin Bohana last year. They brought in guys like Carlos Watkins and Brent Urban, guys that they just kind of normally ignored in um, free agency for a while. So I think they bring in a guy like John Ridgeway, like you said, he can play the zero. Um, in a two-gapping scheme, he can be, you know, a, a mess to handle with as a one-tech, you know, when he's just able to one-gap and just really, you know, push pockets and and control guys at the point of attack to let the linebackers flow freely to the football. So I think that his projection makes a ton of sense, too. Um, I'm just – I'm excited that they now have multiple bodies at that position because for so long it was playing – I mean, they had to do it some last year because of injuries, but like for so long it was playing Neville Gallimore at one tech or playing yeah. Malik Collins at one tech. And it was like, those guys are three techniques through yeah. and through. They don't need to be fighting double teams and trying to stop running backs. They need to use their explosiveness, their length, their speed to get to the passer. So it's nice to have some guys that are strong, physical, you know, smart gap integrity, you know, run defenders that'll help allow those linebackers, those athletic linebackers get to the football. Um, so I, I like the projection of both of those guys. And then the last guy, Devin Harper, um, you saw him watching Malcolm Rodriguez a lot. You know, they kind of had two of those fast, instinctive linebackers that would flow to the football, make plays. Again, I think he's probably more of a special teams guy, maybe a, a guy in year two and three that you hope will click, that athleticism will click, and he'll be able to consistently play you know, where his eyes can match that speed and agility and change of direction. Um, but this late on day three, I think that you're betting on traits and that's kind of what they're doing. Yeah. And it, it's a reasonable bet to make. I mean, he's very athletic, move around really well. And again, this is sort of, you know, linebacker depth, you know, given the fact that LVE, you know, like we said, it's probably nearing the end there um, of his time in Dallas. And so you've added some guys in Clark, he takes a medical red shirt, maybe Harper turns into something, but if not, it's at least a special teams guy, you know, cause there's a third phase that he contributors in too. So it's a nice little flyer on day three and we, you know, you see what happens there. It's like anytime this team with Dan Quinn, a defense coordinator drafts an athletic linebacker anymore, I'm just going to be like, okay, yeah, that we're going to just wait and see, even if I hate yeah. the player, <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. because we saw it work really freedom, well last right? year. He's giving us that freedom to just say, oh, we'll take a wait and see approach here. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, cool. I wanted to go through and talk about some of these guys. Cause I know it's been, you know, we touched on them right after the draft and what our feelings were on them and, what we thought about them, but now that it's been a couple of weeks, we've been able to see the role that they're going to be projected in. We've been able to see the scheme that they're going to be projected. I think that that might change the uh, narrative a little bit on some of these guys. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit, and obviously we needed to introduce talking the star, get out of draft season, even though we talked only about the draft, but we got rookie mini camps, you know, running right now. We got, you know, training camp right around the corner. So we'll have plenty to talk about, about the Cowboys, about the draft prospects. But we'll keep the ball rolling on this front. We'll be back next week on the Talking to Star podcast. Thank you guys for listening. See you then.
What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 